1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing live from New York City, I'm Maggie Lake. Here with me today is Rao Powell, co-founder of Real Vision and CEO. Hey Rao.
0: Great to see you Maggie.
1: So we have somebody else with us, you can't see, but we have a room full of our first cohort of VIPs. I know you're not supposed to make noise, how about a round of applause so everybody knows- There you go. Uh, super excited to have them all with us. Uh, we're holding an event here in New York, and there's one in happening. We think it's happened or happening, probably still happening in probably London sorry, right but. now, um, which we're super excited about. You can find out more about that. We'll tell you a little bit more in a bit. Um, but it's great to be here with you, Rob. Yeah, I'm excited. So we're wrapping up uh, the end of our two-week content campaign, Crash or Boom, How to Profit on What's Coming Next. Um, and we've had some really interesting conversations. You and I talked last week about the first week yeah. and really sort of digging into um, what's behind this divide. So people kind of generally feeling like um, all of the fiscal spending kind of offset this aggressive monetary tightening we've seen, through the timing off for a lot of people, made it a really tricky environment. So there's a lot of agreement around that, consensus around that. But then what to do about that, what happens next, wildly divergent views. This week, we had, I think, good representation from the hard asset crew, let's call it. Um, A lot of talk about things being different, maybe being in a new regime. Um, Let's listen to some highlights from that, and then we'll talk on the other side.
0: The challenge is that you know most investors have some version of sixty forty, mm-hmm. um, whether they whether they like to admit it or not. Right, that's essentially what their exposures are. And you know what is sixty forty particularly good at? When does it outperform? It outperforms in an environment where you know there's disinflationary strong growth. Uh, and instead, what we're sort of seeing here is an environment of you know inflationary
1: weak growth i'm just long hard assets i mean i'm along all sorts of things that are below the cost of producing them that are you know producing a lot of cash flow or i think they're going to produce a lot of cash flow in the next year or two but we're just long hard assets preferably ones that don't have a massive gdp component to them
0: to be honest the feds two percent uh stated goal is probably not going to happen and at some point they're going to have to accept 3 or
1: four percent i'm long a lot of energy um i'm very very long various parts of the energy complex my take is is pretty simple um you've had everything for energy to go down in the past really six months first you had the iran saudi deal peace breaking out in the middle east that should have been energy bearish uh, and it wasn't um you've had a whole lot of bad news on china that should have been energy bearish uh, and and energy continues to grind higher.
0: Fossil fuels are an extremely efficient form of fuel for motor transportation. They deliver a lot of energy uh, relative to the volume of the material. They're just extraordinarily efficient and i would suspect that people
1: will continue to favor efficient forms of energy so for us it's ai and that sounds very buzzword today but i do want to just reiterate this has been a thesis of ours for many years on record archives um, but within that this is in you know my humble opinion here uh the number one investment opportunity of our lifetimes um, you know, the generation before us, their lifetime, the generation after us, this is an enormous opportunity and there's nowhere else to invest right now, in my opinion. You shouldn't be fearful as an investor when you hear the word regime change. You should look at it, lick your lips and think of it as an opportunity to make money or at the bare minimum, save money uh, in financial markets. And this is why we do research. This is why, you know, we constantly wake up and refresh the same models, you know, refresh the same tools, analyze the same time series to ultimately give ourselves the best chance of actually getting this stuff right. So that's just a little snippet of the amazing conversations we had for all of the full interviews. You can head over to our platform uh, and check them out. If you are not already a member, scan the QR code, and that'll tell you what you need to do to take advantage of some spectacular deals we have right now. So you can hop on the platform and join our community. Um, so ra- I love that ra- how Darius finished that, though, because he's like, listen, yes, it's difficult It maybe is going to be more volatile, but there's opportunity, right? Anytime this is happening, there's opportunity. I think that's why Louis had Make Volatility Great Again on his hat. He and Cuppy are sort of like licking their lips saying, this is going to be awesome. Um, But you have to figure out your way through first. Um, And a lot of the people in the content campaign, all of them, not only said what what their view was, what their macro view was, but they also said where they see the opportunity coming. And it was really varied. It was all over the place. So let's talk a little bit about this view. On hard assets. Very different from the one you have.
0: Yeah, but although you say that, but this point in the cycle. So I think of this as, for me, we're in macro spring. Macro spring is volatile. It's confusing because you have inflation, the slow component slowing down, but they've just started. The forward-looking stuff, the commodity stuff starts picking up. And you are bottoming in the business cycle. We saw the ISM coming out today, and it looks like it's at the bottom. And that's the work that Julian and I have done at Global Macro Investor. So we actually think the economic cycle picks up, but the stuff like inflation, the wages, the rents and stuff slows down. So this point's classically a good point for commodities. Ah. Because they get bombed out in the bad side of the cycle, and then you start to get the relief rally. So it's classically good for that, but it's also classically good for technology which is why technology has been the best performing sector the whole year. So it's that's why people are so confused because mm. they kind of want it to be one or the other and it's not.
1: So are commodities anticipating the ultimate are they sort of looking past this and and star, or are they just because they're coming off a bottom yeah, or because are they anticipating again, an ultimate pickup? My
0: point was last year this was all priced in. Right. So what a lot of people find funny is like I say well the equity market priced in the economic slowdown last year. And a lot of people say that's ridiculous. But those same people are actually the commodity bulls who, where the commodities priced it in last year as well, that's when most of the commodities fell and did most of their damage on the downside. Mm. So we had all of that last year. So this is the confusing, it's always a confusing point in markets. Do you
1: think we're still going to have a recession? <clears throat> or do you think that that also happened?
0: Um, I still th- I think we're actually in one. I I don't know a single business has not seen a slowdown. I don't know a single person who's not had to let go of staff. I've not seen any, any sign that we've got robust strength. So, yes, you might get the government sector growing somewhat from the fiscal stimulus, but what you're seeing is the private sector struggling. And we've seen that pretty much everywhere. So, if that's the case, then usually if ISM's bottomed, therefore it bottomed over the last few months, that leads GDP by a quarter. So we probably end up seeing weaker GDP numbers, we might get downward revision soon, and then we'll get weaker GDP, I think, into Q4 and Q1, because it takes a while before it comes back up from the bottom again. And my hypothesis always was, this was going to be a mild recession. It's like 1990. It's a mild recession. The markets fall kind of between 25 and 40%. Sure, some stuff like technology, the growthy end of technology went down to 75%. You know, some of the commodities got hit equally as hard. But... Overall, it's a relatively mild event, um, which is hard to believe with rates having gone up as much as they have. Well,
1: and, and this is where the expectations get tough because people thought it was going to be another financial crisis. Yeah. Now, some people would say that's recency bias, yeah. that everything's not going to look like the great financial crisis. Correct. But that was some of the expectation with the amount of Fed hikes that we had.
0: Yeah. And I've always said you can't have a financial crisis again. Yeah. And the reason being is because you've got the magic money printer. And what that does is debase the currency. So why why 2008 was so bad is the value of collateral. So in a debt-driven world, you have to pay your interest rates and your collateral must maintain. If the collateral collapses, then you've got this huge gap and everything blows up. So the magic money printer essentially optically makes the value of the, the collateral rise so you don't default. So that's... That's what happens here. So, we're seeing it with what the Fed have been doing by taking off some of the, um, giving the emergency lending to some of the smaller banks. That's essentially the same thing. They're supporting the collateral by taking essentially the bonds, mm. which they're underwater on, and making them whole on it.
1: Mm. And which I think is why that's why we didn't see that, that sort of contagion that people thought for a minute we might see on I the. I don't
0: think it's over yet. I mean, I just, everybody should just watch that chart of KRE, just ticks down every day in the BKX. You know, the banking system doesn't like an inverted yield curve. It certainly doesn't like it when they're offering half a percent on deposit rates and money market funds are offering five and a half or whatever they're offering. So that whole process is still underway. The Fed is still essentially emergency lending more and more each week. So it's just a quiet, slow death going on. And just watch that price, because if it breaks back down below the price of whatever it was March or April or whatever uh, this year, then... Everyone starts to panic again. Mm. And I think we're in that phase, you know, October, September, October, great month for a good panic.
1: Tr- traditionally yeah. terrible.
0: And usually that that is normally the bottom of the bear market. The bottom of the bear market, the actual bear market, was October. And I remember talking about it in daily briefing and also on Twitter and writing about GMI, it's the bear killer mm. month. Is so normally this kind of volatility happens very normal this time of year. We should expect more volatility into October, but usually that's when it stops.
1: When you were talking about the economy, um, in Lizanne Saunders and David Rosenberg sat down uh, as part of the content campaign, and Lizanne called it a rolling recession. Um, And so weakness in parts, but not ever, which makes some sense based on what we've seen, but not that big push down, which is why it's been hard to call Yeah, so
0: if you think about it, tech had its horror story beginning of the year. Um, You know, commercial real estate, Mm -hmm. the banks, and it's just... Yeah, you're right. It's kind of rolled through bit by bit. So we'll wait and see. But all I do know is like American employment is really based around small and medium-sized enterprises. That's the American economy. And these people can't, you know, these kind of rates take time to work through, but it just makes it harder for them to run businesses, harder for them to pay their rents, harder for them for a number of things. And slowly over time, you'll see... That that has an effect on the economy, so it's not an, it's not a big whoosh.
1: Yeah, it's going to take time to push through. So I wanted to, you, when you talked about the commodity, so you're not you don't see your call being completely opposite to some of the people who're bullish commodities. You'd expect them to behave this way, but I think um, the interview with Cuppy and uh, Louis Vincent Gave, which. Um, Really, I think they did a great job of giving voice to the people who believe in the commodity story and the hard asset story. Um, but they don't think it's just w- that they're turning and bottoming. They see a very different regime now. Um, and Copy talked about th- th- three, three things. First of all, they see structural part of the commodity story is a structural bull market in emerging markets. Um, they also talk about Western currencies being debased um, and then underinvestment in energy.
0: Well, you and so they,
1: don't, they think this is kind of like the rest of it's going to shit and that's going to be what.
0: You can't have a bull market in emerging markets with a strong dollar. They're basically one for one correlated. So emerging markets, usually at this point in the cycle, should also start to perform again. So if we think of the GMI macro allocation model, I think we presented in this room a few-
1: Yeah, we were just talking about that, the business that, uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: that model will spit out. It should be a weaker dollar environment. It's not currently, which is a bit of a surprise. It should be an EM uh, pickup story. It should be a commodity story. It should be a technology story. That's normally what happens at this point. Bonds are usually a bit iffy because you've still got the remnants of inflation. Until you go into macro spri- uh, um, sort of the macro summer phase- where you're then getting into the disinflationary trend plus growth, which is the, the phase I think we hit in 2024. So the hard asset story, we don't know if it's a secular story or not. We know the supply constraints. Um, we just have to see how that plays out. You know, And it's not absolute price that matters. So oil at $100 is not necessarily wildly inflationary because don't forget it was at $100 a year and a half ago. So you you need to think about rate of change terms which confuses everybody as well mm. so always early cycle you'll always see this pick up and it's that weird dichotomy where the heavy inflation slowing down and the forward looking stuff's going up that often creates this little uptick in inflation for a few months so we produced a chart in gmi which shows all of the inflationary episodes since 1940 and just put this against it and this is absolutely spot-on normal that it's normal. And every time we get this little pickup, because it's that little point where the commodity markets breathe a sour relief, they start rallying. But then the really heavy kind of disinflation stuff happens, and inflation rolls over. So I still think inflation rolls over. I'm still not a big bar of inflation. Commodity inflation's about 18% of CPI, mm. 68%, 70% is like rents. Mm. So all the big stuff is still to come.
1: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March the 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together.
1: It's interesting because there. I think this is there are people who think we're in a higher inflationary environment now. They think something's changed, and that the Fed, all the central banks. So by the way, we're we're talking. We should mention uh, Fed, uh, all of the central banks. BoJ. We, we've had everyone weighing in. Yeah. Um, but they think that now. I think Bob Elliott was giving voice to this. The central bankers are going to go on pause, probably because they can't afford to raise rates anymore, but they'll have done it before they really got a handle on inflation. So we're going to be living in this era where inflation is trending higher, not crazy high, but, but higher.
0: I, I don't see where that argument is yeah. in how the inflation cycle, cycle always takes two or three years to deflate because of how it's constructed. So my actual view is that they want inflation to overshoot. The inflation disinflationary cycle now was baked in the cake six months ago, nine months ago. So we kind of knew where it's going. All the forward-looking indicators still show that. So my view is they actually want inflation to fall further than expected, and if, you know, some of our models suggest you know, it's well below two percent by the end of the year. So it's possible that if that undershoot, their banks are a little bit rickety. They have the cover that they need to get rates lower. Because don't forget. The real issue at hand here is they've got about $13 trillion to roll of debt. Mm. And they're going to go from 0% interest rates, because that was the pandemic issuance, to 5%, 5 5.5%. And to do that, they have to issue more bonds. And then it just keeps going in this spiral. So the deficit keeps going, so they have to issue more bonds. The only ways around this equation, for me, are they either have to try and let inflation undershoot so they can get the cover to cut or they have to impose yield curve control at some point, which is what the Japanese did. Both of the ways to me are actually monetary stimulus because both of them end up printing money. So I know that sounds weird to some people, but that's how I see it play out. Because mm-hmm. if not, you end up in a death spiral of debt. And that's the last thing they can do because what is the collateral of the entire system? The US government bond.
1: So so a, a few of the folks in the in the campaign this week thought that the market is way too, I, th- I would say throughout the campaign, because I'm even thinking of Juliette de Klerk, I think think there's too much, too many rate cuts priced in right now, currently. Does it seem like the, the, the market is too, is to still me not so th- to- I, I,
0: Again, I'm, there's a small crowd of us, myself, Alex Gurovich, and others who will say, there's nothing different here mm. and we will li- m- more likely- this was an outsized reaction to the outside reaction to the downside from the pan- pandemic. And we kind of continue to do that, make volatility great again within the rate cycle and the business cycle, and that maybe things haven't structurally changed. Now, we have to wait and see. Mm. We have to wait and see whether something structurally there has changed or not, that rates stay the same for an extended period of time. But that would be very rare. Mm. It's normally four months that rates stay on hold. And, and often... It's within two months they're cutting um, from peak rates. So they don't ever really last very long. There was a period in the 90s um, that they only partially raised rates, then it plateaued, then it fell, then it raised, that, that kind of thing. But normally, you get to the top of the mountaintop. Now, is it Table Mountain or is it K2? That's what we need to find out, right?
1: I I, I can tell that you wish you are in front of your uh, your terminal right now because you can pull up your charts because this is what having a framework is, right? When you say, because we're always tempted to think something's changed. And on the margin, things are changing. It's not exactly the same. But if you look at it and chart it, which is why on the new platform we have charting and we have all of these new tools, including AI, to sort of like what happened? Is there a time? That's a good thing to
0: do is if you go into the data center area, go to the economic data and there's a whole bunch of them like inflation charts And just look at them and say, did we have a massive move down followed by a massive move up? Does that look like an equal and opposite reaction? And if you head check it, you go, yeah, it does. Mm. So then where does it resettle down? That's just all we need to know at this point. Um, And we need to figure out, has something fundamentally provably changed as opposed to, well, the inflation of the 1970s is coming back. Look, look, look at this chart where it went down and then went back up again. But then when you look at the 1940s, it went down, came up a bit, and then went down again. Or other rate cycles. You will always get rising inflation at the end of the next cycle. That is 100% guaranteed. So inflation always does this, as GDP always does this. But to extrapolate it that suddenly there's a new trend seems misplaced.
1: Yeah, Rosie made a, a very impassioned argument that the business cycle is not dead, that it's a living, and breathing organ. I remember that. that changes, to be but. fair
0: on him, he came into my office at GLG in 2000 and was beating this drum. And I remember him also in 2007 beating this drum, and he was getting laughed at. And people were saying the yield curve inversion doesn't matter. We're going to have a soft landing. I remember it. Uh, that's when I first met Rosie, mm. so a long time ago, and he was right. Mm. Um, and David's not a bear either, because I remember being That's really, what he
1: pushes back on that. I was really angry with him thinks- in like
0: 2010, <laughs> nine ten, 10, when he was bullish. I'm like, how can he be bullish? It's like this, you get stuck because you've, you're so anchored to what's just happened, right? And you kind of the think- The recency it's, bias. It's, yeah, it's the recency bias. And you kind of think it's, you're so, you've got PTSD. And I remember him turning bullish thinking- what? What the fuck are you talking about? How can you be bullish? And he was dead right. Yeah, uh, no, because he has. Always- mo-
1: he he's following the models. Yeah. he's him. not
0: always right, but yeah, you know these kind of calls, he's pretty much always been right when I've seen it.
1: Yeah, well, and and he did say, as many have, uh, the timing and the bond call has been tough, and and he was wrong. He was early on bonds.
0: Yeah, yeah, early and wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but,
1: but you both have a long-term perspective. And so when I asked him about that in the content campaign, and that's with Lizanne, if you want to check it out, he said, listen, in the end, getting it right is what matters. So yes, my timing was off. off. By the way, he's not a trader. He's an economist. My timing was slightly off. But if it's the right call, it doesn't matter. That's what counts in the end. And so if you're short-term, that's tough. But if you have a longer t- time, yeah, rising, but- he'd rather <clears throat> be right and early than wrong. Yeah, that's I mean, I was- Um, You bailed out of I bailed
0: out in the end because, you know, yes, I have a long-term view, but it's like this wasn't the hill I wanted to die on. Yeah. I think there were better trades to be done. So I'm like, okay, look, let's just. Yeah, because
1: you tie up your capital losing trade. Yeah. Um, We have some questions. Uh, We still have this funny thing happening with the migration with the new platform where they're coming in as a sequence of numbers. So my apologies (laughs) for not mentioning your name. But, um, Raul, are hedge funds dumping non-profitable tech stocks? It looks brutal out there.
0: Uh, yeah, I think they, you know, they will flip and change, right? So if they see the, tr- you know, a lot of the hedge funds are relatively short term. So they've made some money by, you know, running some of those stocks. They'll try and flip out, you know, if commodities are moving, they'll try and get some exposure there. I mean, that's their job to do. <clears throat> and don't forget, technology went up a long way. It exceeded the um, Fed net liquidity. It had really had a good run. So for it to correct... Um, I think it's normal. This time of year is also a very normal time for it to correct. It had a monster run. It was the biggest ever run of the NASDAQ in history, I think. In, and there were
1: lots of people that were on the sidelines on. for it. We've had people in the in the con- nobody, content nobody campaign saying, nobody. I missed that. I was, I was not in that.
0: Nobody was in. The only people who were in were 401ks. It was just people um, in 401ks. And there was a bit of, you know, if you look at the activity in Robin Hood, where traditionally people tend to be, technology investors, call options, yet some of the retail guys nailed it. Almost the entire hedge fund business and the entire uh, institutional business had PTSD, and they didn't want to touch it.
1: And so what does that mean as we head into year-end? Tony Greer, I think it's Tony Greer and some others, we'll talk about the sort of dynamics of positioning as you go into year-end. And if you're a short-term trader, um, like some of the folks who come on, you got to be careful of that, because there are going to be people who need to make sure that they
0: So normally, this is why you get the year-end rally.
1: Yeah, because they've got to make up if they missed out. Because
0: when you produce that statement, that year-end statement, you have to say, yeah, obviously, I I had the NASDAQ. (laughs) Yeah, my performance wasn't quite as good, but, you know, factors, you know, something happened. But you can't show that you were, you know, massively underweight tech when you're reporting at the end of the year. So that's why we tend to get that end-of-year rally is like, okay, if this is not properly rolling over and something has changed, then I need to. I gotta own jump it. on board. I yeah, need to own it. Uh, and they've all been underweight equities, full stop.
1: Yeah. By the way, um, Beth Kindig was one of the. I, I would say that we, we had a lot of representation from the commodity hard asset. But Beth is was talking about technology with you, and specifically AI. Um, she had that amazing Nvidia call uh, that she was very convicted about. Uh,
0: She's nervous though. Yeah, so. I was going
1: to say, but <clears> how <throat> is she feeling now? She did say in the clip we played, she said she believes AI is the investment yes. opportunity of a generation. But how is she feeling about the price of the market? She here? was hedging, yeah. I think.
0: I asked her, I kind of tried to pin her down. Um, and I think she's long-term extremely bullish.
1: But worried about valuations here, maybe.
0: Valuations, market momentum, because she has a technical overlay. Um, and I think that makes sense. Yeah. You know? if, if you're trying to dampen that volatility, this period is always a tricky period. Yeah. It's like peak uncertainty. So um, I think that's what she's doing. She's yeah. just like, okay, let me just,
1: because she's speaking risk, to I? people who have different timeframes too. So yeah. they're conscious of the fact that some of, um, yeah. some of the people that she may be talking to may be shorter term than that are trying to make that decision. Yeah. I think should we bail out of tech or not was one of the questions we got asked the most on the daily briefing. We'll see how it, ha- how it happens into the end, year end. But that's, that's really on people's minds. Because you're right, for people who didn't move for the allocation of their 401 portfolio, they did well on that. But they're scared of losing those gains that they sat on this year because they were in. in yeah, some cases. that's
0: just not my time. I just don't operate that way. Yeah. I, I've tried, well, that's how I did operate. And I just found it was suboptimal if you're trying to trade a secular trend, mm. you know, using the business cycle because the business cycle goes on probably until 2025, 2026. So you can either kind of just take the bet and accept that returns come with volatility, you don't get. returns in the NASDAQ without 20% pullback and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to be used to that. Um, But some people don't. And I always find that suboptimal. But, you know, I, I find very few traders that have done enormously well. You can do well from it, but usually you make the real money from just owning a trend.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so, there's a lot of time and sweat put into so that. One of the ways um,
0: Roger Hurst talks about is one of the ways of dealing with stuff like this is you can sell covered calls so that you can just take in a bit of premium. You can buy some puts. Volatility not been expensive. So there's ways of staying in a trend without trying to trade all the time. And I think that's very helpful if you're really trying to capture something and you don't like the volatility.
1: And we have a whole section on the academy to help people. And now layer on the AI on that. That'll be amazing to help people if if you're kind of beginning your journey and you want to know more about that. Even if you want to know more, have a conversation with your financial advisor about it. But Uh, but also, you know,
0: there's Imran's option course. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can go to the AI, get it to summarize the points for you, take a note, store it, Hold yourself accountable. Realise what you're doing. That kind of stuff. It's super powerful. The other, thing- I need that.
1: Can you explain options to a five year old? That 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 would be. I'll, I'll be putting that in. You That's one do of that. your prompts. You can, yeah. <laughs> it's true. And
0: they'll just say five year olds are not allowed to trade options, <laughs> um, but they understand the option of you can have sweets if you do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> they'll figure it out. But um, yeah, the the other thing that we we are trying to get out into the um, into the note section. Is, and I think I mentioned this before, is a, trading, a trade te- idea template. Mm. And that will be coming out in the next few weeks. And it's a simple thing. Is When I was working at GLG, I'd gone from the sell side and had gone to the buy side. And um, one of our investors came to us in the fund and said, listen, Rao, one thing you will find useful is from that switch to sell side to buy side is to write trade ideas down and then hold yourself accountable and take notes and refer to it. Um, and he said, all you know, people that he'd seen were good traders were able to do that. And so the template basically is, you know, what is my idea? What is my entry level? If you're using stops, strict stops, or idea stops, w- what will change you to get out of the trade? Then what is the collaborating research that you've got? You know, here's my chart, this is what mm-hmm. I'm trading, this is where I'm wrong, all of that stuff. And then you put that in your notes section in Real Vision. And you look at it every day and say, has something changed? It stops you doing stupid stuff. If you tell yourself this is a five-year trade and I have to accept 30% drawdowns, you will write that in your note and you'll go and say, oh, it's down 15%. What do I care? I shouldn't care. Or it's doing something that it shouldn't do, but you're not hold- holding on to the trade too long. Like-
1: and the holding on to the trade, I had a great conversation with Denise Shaw once about the sort of, Monstrosity of dragging around something oh. that's—I mean—that's why you got out of that's the bond what trade. Was, yeah, that's exactly it, what you're It's right. all day.
0: I—I yeah. I, I open up my screens, and there will be the bontray just flashing <laughs> at me. Everything else is right. All my technology <laughs> bets, the crypto, great year. It's just this all the time. It's like, go away. Yeah. And so they just have to cut it. And she works
1: with she works with people, and just like sort of and 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 sometimes they don't want to look at it because no. they just they, there's something going on, and you just have to, you know, like you said, hold yourself accountable and. And let go yeah. of that, so you can free up your capital. So those and your notes mental are a spin. superpower, yeah. is my point. They're yeah. a
0: superpower. That's they a great idea. I love that. will change your life to give you discipline in a really simple way.
1: Yeah, I, th- I could probably find some uses for that in other parts of my life too. Okay, so, um, <laughs> Raoul, yield curve. Yield curve. Not easy for me to say on a Friday. It's been a long week. Yield <laughs> curve, curve control. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I needed it before it came on for the U.S. question mark. Look, think it's I think gonna- it's
0: coming at some point. Yeah. It happened in the 1940s. I think it happens now. So why? What they want to do is keep financial repression. So they want to have interest rates below some sort of measure of inflation or try and keep it Try and keep it so there's enough GDP to pay the interest. So what you're doing is capping the interest payments, essentially. But by capping it, you put it on the central bank balance sheet, because they're saying, we'll buy all bonds at that one price, versus QE, which is we will buy um, this many bonds um, at generalized prices, wherever the market is. So it's like a, we stand in the way of this one price, which is the BOJ have been doing for a long time. Generally, in the past, that's worked. Yeah. I know it's it's like a sin to say. Yeah, it's... Because financial repression is the worst, right? It's a tax on everybody. But there are ways to to get around financial repression, which is what I've been taught. My entire thesis of the Everything Code is, okay, if financial repression, as Russell Napier says, is the name of the game, then we need to find ways to mitigate that and maybe profit from it.
1: Yeah. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI.
1: Christopher asking, how does Raul respond to U.S. bonds are now a fragile asset the way emerging markets used to be as espoused by Cuppy and Gave? I, I think his name is Gave. 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 Um, And I think that Luke Groman also was making this point as well. So So bonds aren't a safe haven anymore. They're a fragile asset.
0: They're a fragile asset because, and we've talked about this a lot, there's too much issuance right now Mm -hmm. um, because you've got to roll all this debt and you need to issue new debt to pay the interest payments. It's It's what I'm talking about. And they have to solve that. So you either hope, hope that they blow up the regional banks again so then they can stealth go back in. Don't forget, they've been stealth offsetting QT Mm. all the way through this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're doing both at the same time, really. The
0: reverse repo is draining faster than they're doing QT on balance. So that's kept everything relatively tight. Now, I think they'll, they'll switch as fast as they can. Again, I assume that the Treasury and Fed are not stupid. I assume that they understand exactly the gravity of the situation mm. and that the two choices they've got to get is get rates down or if not, cap rates, Yeah, because you can't issue this much bonds.
1: And I'm sure they know that that will be politically... I mean, I'm sure there's a preference because start a, going into yield curve control is... is yeah, you know. and
0: don't forget, you know, a lot of Basel III, what it actually was, when, and I hadn't really realized this, what it was was a...
1: Basel III, all the bank regulations, for those of you... That's
0: heard. right. That force banks to hold more reserves. What does that mean? It means the banks were the buyers of the bonds.
1: Yeah, you stuffed—they stuffed them with treasuries, which now is sort of killing them. But
0: yes, but yeah. you know they will find a buyer for bonds. Yeah, that is their job. So you know whether it's the central bank, whether it's the banking system, or it's the pension system. Don't forget, in Europe, we had the big change in the pension system twenty years ago, which was basically as the population ages, they have to—they have to mandate. Uh, by mandate, own more bonds. Mm. So guess what? The governments in an aging population to issue more bonds. Well, the pension system was a bar of bonds, which is why Europe's been a bond-owning economy for the last 20-odd years. The US has been an equity And equity, economy. because we moved yeah. to
1: 401 in that case. We're almost out of time. I just want to squeeze in another question and then talk a little bit about what's happening here. Uh, and this one uh, is from uh, CHED. Can you please ask Raoul near the end what was the main... Two or three takeaways from the Sari event for us crypto folks, thanks.
0: From the Sari event, it was...
1: That's what you That's what you were Yeah, the
0: Sari mainnet. It was quieter,
1: mm.
0: um, for sure. Um, but I think a lot of people have been to Singapore to token 2049, um, and there was Korean blockchain week beforehand, so I think a lot of people were blockchained out. Mm. Um, but everybody was there. And I think... What was really amazing again if you step back is that space attracts an astonishing amount of smart people i mean i've never seen anything like it and everybody is down their deep rabbit hole trying to fix some part of this Mm. so everything was there from gaming and how to take away the monopolies of apple and the control over you know who takes payment systems all of this stuff within the gaming economy and the apps economy and the cultural economy then there's other people trying to solve payment rails. There's other people trying to solve the infrastructure layer. There's other people trying to solve um, the finance system and how we can put finance on the blockchain. So people like Franklin Templeton were there talking, who've been on real vision about how they are tokenizing money market funds. Um, we had the hedge funds there, how they're investing in these markets, and you know, what kind of capital's flowing. There's um there was Caitlin Long and the and Novo and everybody talk about regulation and where that's going and the Bitcoin ETF. So there's it's so broad, and it's the tentacles are everywhere with this extraordinary group of smart people. It shocks me every time mm. um, because you know it's it, like gets, reduced going, to, it gets, gets reduced on, it to it gets reduced online to you know Bitcoin and ETH and blah yeah. blah blah. And when you actually see the magnitude of what is being built and by the types of people and the kind of smart capital, just, I met this guy uh, for a coffee and I got introduced. Guy, long beard, super nice guy, and he. He was an OG, 2000, 2011, super blade with the radar screen. And he happened to just end up doing kind of VC deals. He first was, like, he met Vitalik before Ethereum came out. So he was uh, Vitalik, um, Ethereum ICO, super early in absolutely everything, really quiet, considered guy. And, uh, and then he started doing VC, and I think his first VC fund, Returns 66X. Now he runs money for two people and I won't mention their names, are two of the most famous people in the history of finance and he just does that. And you're like, wow, I, I one of them I knew, I know very well, His friend, the other person who I know, I didn't know that you know how much involvement he had in this space.
1: Well, that's super interesting, isn't it? Because there's all this and I feel like when when you're out there talking to the people in our community, <coughs> um, there's this sort of Layer of investing that some people did, dipping their toes into coins, and that's there's a lot of negativity around the headlines there, and some of the NFT action has dried up a little bit. But then there's all this building and all those spaces going on behind the uh, scenes oh that's God. not stopped, and in fact, it's accelerating. And there's other money and formal. So, and all these people are getting so in on it now, th- while so what sense. you've
0: got is this. I mean, I was at a party last night, and you know half the room were Web three music. Yeah. And they're fighting a big fight, right? It's so a really hard industry because everybody's got IP rights. Film industry is always is the same. Well, you are so,
1: disrupting long standing. And
0: they're disrupting industry after industry after industry after industry, much like the internet did. Right. So this is the kind of payment value rails for all of this. So everybody's doing that. So if you think of it,
1: it's just not touching most of us yet. Yeah. No, that, that's why you don't, don't know. Yeah. And
0: so it's an ant colony.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's anti fragile because it's an ant colony. And what you're about to do is, you are about to kind of, as soon as liquidity comes back in the space, you're like feeding this ant colony and everything comes alive. Mm -hmm. So that it's it's very clear to me when I see it. It's like everybody's heads down building, doing their thing. And the moment liquidity comes in, the whole place explodes again. Um, So yeah, it was really interesting.
1: Are those people also doing AI or is that a different crowd?
0: There are people working kind of at the nexus of AI. Um, obviously, some of the the v c investors' crossover yeah. between the areas um but yeah, it's interesting to see the broad crossover people obviously left you know yeah. the family offices, the people who kind of lost interest, but you know, I was sitting with um um uh Texas teachers' retirement system, Matt halstead, and Matt's coming on real Vision, the interview's out. I mean, you know the pensions guys are there I mean they've been involved, the early mandates, all of that, so look you know, it's not what you think it is. There is yeah. an extraordinary amount of people, capital, uh, and intellect in that space.
1: Yeah. It's amazing to, yeah. to watch. Good question. Thank you for that. Okay. We're out of time because we can't leave these people waiting. As we mentioned, we have a VIP event happening here and in London. I know you're super psyched about this.
0: Yeah. This is always fun. It's always fun. And to do it in the Real Vision studio as well. It's great. Yeah.
1: It's
0: just like a really cool space.
1: So we've that that's closed for now, though, right? If people are wondering about our oh, VIP, you, yeah. the VIP, yeah, it's closed. Okay, uh, but maybe we, we'll open it up again at some point. Maybe or... at the end
0: of the year. There is a waitlist. Okay,
1: so if you're interested in all of this, you know what to do: hit the QR code, or you can go to the links that everyone's dropped in the chat to figure out if you want to join and you're not a member. If you want to find out when more information about the our VIP or if you're already a member and you want to upgrade. I was thinking before when we were talking, part of the series where you and Julian did a Macro Insiders and it was like the duel of charts. And if I'm not mistaken, you were sort of accusing him of being a boomer. Is that right? <laughs> I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll stick in, by that. In the that. nicest way possible. <laughs> I'll stick by that.
1: <laughs> but that's on pros. So if you want to upgrade and get a load of that, yeah, you but can Yeah, that's another too.
0: point is, is right now there's an amazing deal going on. So you know, if you're on the uh, Real Vision email list, take up that deal. It's a really good opportunity. Um, I don't know; it closes this week, next week. So yeah, it was related the to, the, ca- to the content campaign. Exactly.
1: Um And check out all of them. Uh, give us your feedback on what you thought and what parts. I think it's
0: sorry; tw- it's three months for twenty dollars forty nine for two thousand and fourteen is what yeah, we started. We, twenty dollars fourteen, and it's.
1: All, I think it might close when we have the birthday celebration, perhaps. Yeah. Somebody, there's a lot of people who know a lot more about this than Rao and right. I right now, but um, never go to the QR code and you'll find it. You'll find it all. But um, put your thoughts, especially if you're on the new platform, make sure that you chime in and give us your thoughts and feedback on what you heard um, over the course of these two weeks, because it's really important. And we're going to continue to touch on this and also talk about how you can profit from it, right? We got trade ideas. We're going to try to keep track of them now um, and and see how it pans out and revisit some of those ideas with some of the people who came on because it is a really tough environment we're in right now. And everyone said, in addition to saying it's been difficult and some of them have been wrong, you've got to be much more plugged in. You can't just like set and forget right now. It's just not that kind of environment.
0: No, it it is complex and there is a large amount of unknown. So whoever comes on and sounds confident about what they think the future is, you know, their confidence level is 60%.
1: What, what are you going to be watching for most closely to make sure that your thesis is not on track?
0: Um, for me, the thesis, the next thesis is somewhere around the end of Q4, we should see liquidity coming back into the system. Now, going to be a little bit later, can it be Q1, but it's around that period that we should start to see that. So the macro thesis was economic growth picks up, disinflationary trend continues. We will see stimulus coming in as the inflationary numbers come down and unemployment, which is a, a lag as well, continues to rise slowly, not dramatically. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. If you're looking for one thing, the one thing is, I think, if you're looking for the impact of this higher rates, the KRE or the BKX mm-hmm. for the banking system, because that's where the fragility lies. Everything else will be slow. You know, People will buy less cars because they can't afford the, the, the leases or the loans, or you know, the housing market stops because nobody can sell, because nobody wants to get any mortgage off, off variable rates, not fixed rates, or reset their rates. So everything kind of stops for a while, slows, to, slows down. That's pretty normal. That was 1990. Mm. Uh, 1990, we had a banking crisis as well. So I just keep your eye on that. I'm not sure it's over yet, not with the rates like this.
1: All right. Rao, well, great to have you here. Great We're going to continue to hang out. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Uh, we will be back. Of course, same time on Monday. Have a great weekend. Take care and good luck out there. Ah, mmm.
0: The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne.